Hi, I'm Natasha Josie, and this is the Being Body Podcast, brought to you by House Ltd. This podcast pulsates amongst creatives and thinkers who are seeking inspiration and purpose in life, and are willing to engage and listen. Who are perceptive, reflective, sensitive, and critical. We believe that sharing experiences has a unique way to make sense of human suffering, and it is through sharing that we heal, connect, and create. Today's conversation is with Essen Rahid, who is an architect and a multidisciplinary artist. He's also the co-founder of Din Dhale, which is a monthly gathering in public parks for open mics, pop-up galleries, and art therapy over board games and street food. Hence, to utilize more productivity and creativity in the way public spaces are utilized. Today's conversation is led by my co-host Nayab Navid, who is a writer and poet, and looks at the world with a keen eye. I let Nayab take over and fill you in on our guest today. So, um, Essen, my first question to you would be, what do you do? <laughs> that's a, that's a, I'm I I I have a lot of hats that I keep on changing. Yeah. Um, I just graduated as an architect, mm-hmm. uh, so that's something to to flaunt. And um, other than that, other than you know being indulged in um, architecture and construction off and on, and also being indulged as a designer. Um, two, three things that are very constant in my life are painting and writing. Mm-hmm. So I have been um, very seriously cultivating my art practice for the past one year. Mm-hmm. Um, I do um, draw and paint uh, since mm-hmm. I was late, but it was it's only up until last year that I actually started to take it very seriously and started to cultivate an art practice and I feel like a lot of people don't really um, they they don't they don't ever cultivate their practices and I feel like that's a very different thing than just doing art um, or just doing anything for that matter because you really need to um, cultivate an environment and cultivate a mindset in order to approach it and other than that um, of course I I write I have been writing poetry for a long time um, and these days I'm um, working on putting together a collection of poetry uh, and publishing it. I hope it comes out this year mm-hmm. um, and they, these are the two things that usually mostly take up my time. Right and it makes me wonder what compels you to you know do all these different things what's your driving force um I, I i really have asked this question quite a number of times for myself as well and now it feels like it has become redundant i i think that um i i like to make things and that's about it i i really don't want to you know sort of indulge in as to why is um, as to why I do this, what's like, I feel like it, the only uh, reason why I do it is because I want to make things and I really like creating things. And 
the sense that I get at the end of it. Um, and that's all. I mean, there are, I have tried coming with, up with a lot of philosophical and existential um, responses to that question. But at the end of the day, I feel like it all boils down to the fact that that's just, I will not be comfortable doing anything else. And I'm really comfortable uh, sort of exploring uh, the possibilities that you get when you create something. Because really, you you don't really know where you're going. And you don't really know what you're going to find out. And I feel like I really like that a lot. And is this feeling of not knowing where you're going something that drives you in your life as well? Mm, I maybe perhaps um, the thing is that uh, that that feeling of not knowing where you're going um, that is a very uncomfortable state to be in because usually we want to know where we're going and we, we really like to uh, compartmentalize things and set things in multiple boxes so that it's easier for our brains and also for us to navigate through um, and I think that it's, I feel like it's, for me, it's very important to, to get comfortable with that feeling of not knowing where you're going. Um, and I think that the path that I'm currently taking in my life right now, I do not know where it's going to take me. Um, but I know that wherever I'm going to end up, it's going to be interesting. Uh, because I feel like that's just how things are. If you, and just like in art, like you um, figure things out as you go along, right? You don't exactly know at times um, what you, what's the end result going to be. Um, and that's something that I found very contrasting to architecture, because in architecture, you know exactly, you need to know your end product, your end result. Um, there are multiple steps that you need to take in order to get there. And that at times can get a little constrictive. Mm -hmm. But um, in I think that this, this ability to make things up or figure things out as you go along, that is, that's very interesting. And I feel like that's also very rewarding um, if uh, one applies it to their life. Mm -hmm. And do you remember the first time when you felt this feeling of not knowing where you're going? Um, I feel like I've always been um, very aware of this feeling of not knowing where I'm going. Um, and it used to cause a lot of unwanted anxiety. But now I have started to, very recently started to um, get, started to tell myself that that's all right, because perhaps nobody knows where they're going. And everyone just tries to make things up as they go along. So, um, yeah, because, and also I think it has got a lot to do with sort of how we make decisions in our lives, perhaps. You know, at times uh, there are a lot of other people who are making your decisions for you. But then there comes a point where you have to start making decisions for yourself. And then you realize that, you know, um, you don't know where you're headed and that can cause a lot of unwanted stress and anxiety and then you sort of realize that 
nobody knows where they're going and you just are going to figure things out as you go along and hopefully those things are going to be interesting and those things are going to be worthwhile mm. yeah so you mentioned that you know there are times where you felt like you know people were making decisions for you can you yeah. mention mention a time where you felt like that i mean i i feel like um you know when you're growing up your parents are going to make decisions for you what to what clothes to wear what to eat and when to eat it and um where to go get to get your education what people to sit with and what company to avoid so i feel like that you know we we sort of are sheltered and cultivated and we are being cultivated by the decisions of other people and then you sort of get into you grow up and then you realize that well now what now you have to start dictating your own life and then it hits you that oh um you can either take perhaps the uh, that avenue where everything is set in stone for you and that might be very comfortable and that might be very um soothing but um i feel like if you if you sort of if you have that uh, and i feel like that it requires a lot of courage to sort of go out the i'm i'm talking about all of these carl young esque ideas i'm i'm sorry but mm-hmm. if you like if you go into if you if you sort of like follow that those unknown territories you require certain level of courage um just like you know you need like a certain level of courage in order to create art i mean if you put down uh your brushes or if you put down um ink to paper you don't know if you are good enough for this idea i mean there are times when even i would think that am i really good enough for this poem or am i really good enough for this metaphor that has come up to me and it requires my skill uh, so that it could be brought into the world and there is a lot of self doubt and there is a lot of um that nagging nagging feeling of not being good enough and i feel like that re- you need to cultivate uh, some level of courage so sort of to sort of like pass through that and um tell yourself that that's it's all right and if an idea has presented itself to you then it's up to you to sort of uh, at least do something about it um if it's going to be good or bad i feel like that's irrespective of the equation right right yeah um i wanted to ask where do you find a home in what do you find a home in i i find a home in music it's it's a very um oh. i i don't know how to put it but um i i feel like um i'm of the opinion that if whatever is going in in my life um emotionally physically or mentally i think that listening to music will always always triggers they just trigger very familiar feelings mm. right and whenever i need to so because i feel like that's what a house or a home is right um for example when you walk in your home after a vacation the that familiar smell of your room reminds you that you're back home or the way that 
your bed sheets press against your feet and your head when you lie down right or the smell of books your books in your room or the way that you know uh, the smell of garlic engulfs the entire kitchen um at daytime when something is being cooked so it's 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 i feel like it's about a familiar feeling that perhaps never changes so i feel like for me music is that um whenever i listen to it whenever i and i listen to music very meditatively i try to indulge in it as an experience um and i truly truly think that it is um a performance art of really high regard um and if i'm listening to a concerto or i'm listening to a recital on the sitar i really indulge myself in it i um there are no lights in my room everything is very silent and i'm very attentively listening to what they're doing and you know and then the, the feelings that they evoke they're very familiar those aha moments and those bravo moments in the musical recitals but they're they're very familiar but every single time they come and they hit me it 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 it's fantastic it's um and it makes me for a little moment forget about whatever else is going on around me and i can sort of find my anchor there does that answer your question or was i was i supposed to like mention a a concrete box in which i found a, a, a home in no 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 i think this answers my question quite well and and it, i have a follow up question yeah uh when can you mention an experience when you first listened to music and you had this familiar feeling what was the song what was the place what was going on in your life that time hmm um i there are a few moments where um i can recall um music having a lot of impact over me but i think that the first the sort of like the first time that i can recall um when it all happened was when i was 16 years old or 17 you know the that really angsty phase that we've all had and yeah. and and i was listening to um this um sitar recital at um it was a recording um that was recorded at kanage hall by anushka shankar and she was playing an indian classical raga and on the sitar and it was it's it's like a 12 minute or a 16 minute recital and i remember listening to it again and again again and again as i would walk at night in the streets because of course you know you're an angsty 17 year old mm. um and you know i, I feel like those repetitive mo- uh, movements of the sitar and of the plucking of the strings and the way that they were building rhythm really sort of spoke to me to my perhaps inner angst and um it feels like whatever i am going through in my life because of course you know sometimes 17 to 19 you're very angsty and i feel like from 19 till 21 you're very arrogant and then from 21 till 25 you you realize how um impeccably miserable everything is around you so i feel like for every single um moment in my life that that rhythm or that those movements resonate 
with whatever is going on. And I can really, it, it feels like every time I listen to music, it is speaking to me, to my current condition. Uh, for example, if I listen to the, that same recording now, it perhaps might be reminiscent of my 16-year-old or 17-year-old self, but it is not going to speak to my angst anymore. Perhaps now it is going to speak to the questions that I ask myself lately or sort of like the troubles that I go through. Yeah. What are the questions that you ask yourself lately? <laughs> that's, hmm, that's a very difficult question. Yeah. Um, one, of, one of the questions that I have been asking, I feel like this year um, since the beginning, has been one um, one of a lot of introspection and uh, you know for me struggling a lot with anxiety and certain mental health issues mm. and just really thinking as to um, what do I really believe in and what what does it mean to be SN or what does it mean to be myself am I supposed to restrict um, my hats should I just be wearing one hat or can I wear multiple hats? And what will it imply about identity if I end up wearing multiple hats? You know, is 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 an identity attached to what you do repeatedly, one singular thing that you keep on doing repeatedly? Or is identity perhaps something even bigger than that? Perhaps it is, is it an all-encompassing idea? So these are some of the questions that I've been asking myself. And um, an overarching um, theme that has been in general in my life is to just try to find interesting and, you know, um, beautiful things. Like, I mean, it's I, I know it's a very bastardized and generic term, the term beautiful. But I try to, I try to find wonder and interest in... Um, in in my day-to-day -day life i mean i really enjoy I, i'm I, this is this this sort of like conversation is going on a tangent but i really enjoy um sitting and just looking at the clouds pass by at night mm -hmm. at the backdrop of the moonlight because i feel like that's that's that i feel like that's like the source material for a poet to see how this like sitting in a market one day and observing um, a man who has been laboring away in the in the heat of June for the past 12 hours. And he, now he's just has had the time to just sit down and have his evening tea. And you're just sitting across the street, observing him and seeing how his hands are shaking and the amount of sweat that is on his face. It's not, I'm not just sitting there and judge people you know there's this really interesting meme that you know some people do arts and crafts and some people judge so <laughs> so um yeah. so that's that's not what you know you do when you are I mean, I'm, I'm not judging the other person i'm just making an observation and sort of trying to indulge in that so yeah um these are some of the questions and these are some of the overarching themes that um i the thoughts that I surround myself with. Right, right, right. And you mentioned the word anxiety a lot, you know, in our conversation. And I was wondering if it's something that 
and you know angst as well and i was wondering if it's something that was played a huge role in in your life i i think um perhaps in that time i was not aware of it but now in retrospect maybe it did i think as far as anxiety is concerned yes because um you know there is this huge burden that you somehow have to be really really good and you know try to excel at things a very slytherin you know attribute <clears throat> mm. but um i think that um these days i'm trying i'm trying really hard to um question these beliefs and question um my anxiety itself as to is it really necessary to have so many questions it is really necessary to have so many raging thoughts and i feel like that angst and anxiety they do play a part in in the creative life um not to romanticize the idea of a tortured artist because i um i don't think that that sort of idea exists but i think that anxiety is is an angst they're sort of part of um a creative individual's life because if you have the ability of um novelty and if you have the ability to create ideas really rapidly if you're really fluid with your ideas then that is how you're, you you can apply that in your creative practice but then you know when you are with your friends or when you are just having a cup of tea in a, at a cafe or if you are just reading or if you are just having a very intimate conversation with someone um those um that those thought patterns are going to influence every single everything else that you do in your life as well yeah. does that make sense yeah i think it does. it does because 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 i think that you know if you have the fluidity to represent the the birth of jesus christ for example in 12 different um images or if you have the ability to talk about the morning dew drop of of a december of a for mid december morning you know in in 14 verses then you also have the ability to um you know really um think uh, very harshly about a particular situation you can keep on creating multiple realities for a particular situation for example if you're going home and you're going back home from a party and you're really drunk and you know you can start telling yourself that oh perhaps my parents are going to find out that i'm really drunk right and then you can construct like 14 or 15 ways as to how they're going to find that out right but then and how do you do that why do you do it because you have that ability of novelty you have that ability of 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 fluidity to like you know create one idea over another and then start linking them together so i think that it's very important to just be mindful of of these things that i am trying um little by little every day to be mindful of and to tell myself that perhaps Mm. you know these things that is how it happens and yeah to answer your question yes angst and anxiety is um they 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 are a part of a creative person's life and i feel like they're much more nuanced than we are told or what the pop culture or 
the the media tells us mm. because i feel like in my experience they were very nuanced and they were very layers of it all mm. yeah so you know you were talking about you know this this thought pattern of creating different realities and it almost being a creative process do you think this was something that you exercised as a child as well yes um because i when somebody asks me um about uh, you know a question as to you know what was sort of the fa- that first uh, spark of creativity in your life i i remember that um somebody telling me the story of uh, moses and the parting of the nile right mm. and it was so impactful to i feel like the 3 year old or the 4 year old me that i remember going back and remember when i was going to bed i imagined myself as moses and i imagined parting the nile and i imagined you know um sort of the, the entire episode that followed after it and i feel like ever since that day i have uh, been telling stories to myself um because i did have a bit of a lonely childhood growing up uh, hence i have to keep on telling stories to myself to entertain myself um and i think that yeah and i feel like that's that that also is the reason why i'm really fascinated with myths as a grown adult and i really try to cultivate them in my creative practice mm. i'm i want to know what kind of stories did you tell yourself as a lonely child there most of the stories were um uh heroic you know whatever you know you would um be you would read or whatever interesting thing that you would hear sometimes i was a sailor or or sometimes i was at a pirate ship um sometimes i i would would be riding a phoenix and you know sometimes i would be a knight um and sometimes i would be a, a wizard and i feel like most in most stories and even um as a as a child and in adolescence as well um whenever i used to hear stories and whenever i used to watch them on the um on the screen i have always resonated with the old wise char- um character in the story for mm-hmm. example i really resonated or i really wanted to be dumbledore or mm-hmm. i really wanted to because i felt like that they or master shifu for that matter mm. <laughs> because they i don't know why i just wanted to be them because i thought that you know they're so wise and people flock around them because of their intelligence and because i feel like because as a lonely child um i thought that if i was intelligent then perhaps people would um start flocking around me as well mm. so um yeah i i still don't know why um uh, those things resonated with me or those characters really resonated with me but and i feel like um unconsciously i have tried to cultivate those characters in in one way or the other in my life as well i i really at times come off as like this wise old human being who talks about you know sitar and angst and and the creative process but um yeah i think yeah this was those are the kind of stories that i used to tell myself and also i remember creating these really small um figurines out of paper and assigning 
backstories and characters to them and then just you know um creating a small stage play out of them mm. and i feel like that's how i have just um you know those those ideas and those stories um took me through my childhood and perhaps have impacted my creative practice now as well mm. that's quite interesting you know about the figurines and giving them a back story can you tell me like what can you tell me one back story that you would have given a figurine mm these days actually um interestingly um a story has come back to me mm-hmm. um because um i feel like it it was perhaps um a story that i was telling in my adolescence but very recently um it has surfaced out of the crevices of my forgetfulness and that is that there are two um there two there were these two figurines and one of them was um a ballet dancer mm-hmm. who was part of a circus train very interestingly i don't know why but the ballet dancer was part of a circus train that was going around india in 9 in 1898 and the 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 ballet dancer um they they're going the train comes into a village and to stay the night and in that village um at the night time there is um a small um concert of sorts happening at the temple and in the temple the ballet dancer sees um a classical an indian classical dancer and perhaps they both fall in love and the ballet dancer sort of teaches um how to do ballet or how to do those the, uh, those movements to the indian classical um dancer and eventually down the down the road what happens is that the the train backs up and it leaves and with it the ballet dancer also goes away and i feel like that the end the last scene of the story would probably be the the ballet da- the um classical dancers um dancing and trying really hard to get those movements but the dancer cannot get those movements because he or she um doesn't remember um what she was taught anymore or sh- all she can do is like really bad ballet or all he can do is really bad ballet so perhaps perhaps now if now in retrospect i feel like it was like a comment on um colonialism a very bad comment on on colonialism but i feel like that is if perhaps i was telling this story when i was like 13 or 14 mm-hmm. um but yeah that is that and that's a story that has come back to me um recently and um maybe i might write something about it along those lines mm. do you see yourself as one of those characters I I think yes I do because um growing up I I had a very strong connection to um the Urdu language and um I took a lot of pride in it and I took a lot of um because I was um I was reading a lot of classical poetry I was um I knew a lot of ghazals and po- poems by heart and I used to recite them here and there in conversations as relatability but when i sort of um grew up and when you go to college and when you go to um uh 
um, a university, you realize that, you know, you have to change your language now. You have to talk in a different language now. And when, you know, when, when you talk into a different language, um, a lot of um, the, the Urdu language aesthetic has, um, has been forgotten by me or some part of me. And that is sad. I feel I feel really sad at times. I do feel like that classical dancer who, you know, consciously or unconsciously picked up a few steps um, from that ballet dancer. Mm. And yeah, maybe I, I feel like our, the stories that we tell um, are reflections of either our ideas or our lives, mm. because um, you cannot, I don't think that, you know, you can tell a very effective story if it's not a reflection of either your thoughts or your experiences. I mean, you can, of course, shroud an experience with metaphors, with language, with plot, with narrative and with characters. But at the end of the day, if you have not felt what it means um, to get your heart broken by a one night stand, <laughs> How can you, you know, sort of write about it? Mm. Yeah, you're very right, actually. I think the best stories come from, you know, feelings that you know of. Um, yes. I was thinking, I, yeah, sorry. Yes, go ahead. And I feel like that, you know, feelings um, and um, the sort of uh, really that introspection that you do on those feelings they they are the, the, what that stands out in in a story as well because of all the stories that i have read um in the past 10 12 years i feel like that that is what stands out and I feel like that's really what resonates that introspection that you do at a feeling is to okay if my heart really was broken by a one night stand mm -hmm. then why did it happen why do i feel this what conspired me to feed all of this and i feel like if you sort of go on and explore that within the story that is what um you know uh you you can that could be very effective or um that could of course make or break the story mm. and from what you've mentioned i think you also had a very introspective childhood and i wanted to ask what is something that you would say to the younger Essen or to the child Essen? I what I will I think I'm going to go and tell the child Essen that it's going to be all right and it's um it's going to be yeah and it's it's going to be um it might be a little troublesome right now um it might you might feel like you're being left out or you might feel like you know you're going through a lonely time but it's it's going to be all right and uh try not to be really hard on yourself and you know like chill out i mean that's <laughs> that's that's not something that you know you should be saying to a 10 year old but i feel like if i can go back in time i will just hold myself and shake myself and tell myself to just chill out you know because things things my things 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 will turn out to be for the better and things will be very interesting 
but i feel like i will tell my younger self to just chill out and just learn to um perhaps develop trust on his abilities from a really young age because that would of course save a lot of time to the to the adult sn vahit but then you know that would really distort the the what what do you call it the 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 flow of time and then you know things and you know if you've read alfred hitchcock um, no i don't think you're supposed to read alfred hitchcock yeah. i feel like you're supposed to watch alfred yes. hitchcock yeah. there is i'm so sorry but there is another person what's their name um anyway so you know how time and space happens so but but yeah i'm sorry for this very um unsuccessful joke but i think that i will go and tell myself to start developing some trust in the in my abilities and in me um being myself because i feel like i've struggled a lot with that um and i perhaps still continue to do that today and at times it feels like that you know my creative practice is me screaming for my um existence or for me screaming that i also exist here that mm. i am also here you know look at me mm. yeah that's quite it's quite moving you know you screaming for to say i exist yeah often... but i i also think that it should not it should it shouldn't be necessary because you know you don't have to scream for you know you you okay you might why do people scream well they scream for approval they scream for attention but you are screaming because you want to be right it's such a fundamental right it is the foundation of everything and you know you screaming to be if if you mean you're screaming because you want to be because you just you know want to exist you you want to take up space because you really well you know you are here i am talking for example we are conversing because we exist and we exist because we exist in time and space and we really take up physical space so you know really screaming for something so foundational and fundamental i feel like it should not be that case but um sadly perhaps it is in certain regards i'm sorry this conversation is becoming very intense and actually this is this is the kind of conversation that i would have um after 9 pm <laughs> preferably at night <laughs> with a gum or playlist playing in the background yeah uh, or sitting on my rooftop for that matter and looking at the stars and talking to a friend and then crying and telling them oh my god this is how sad my life is <laughs> no i think these are called the conversations that are also the most important and moving um and you know what you said it sort of makes me think who is someone that you want to scream the loudest at you know scream that i am i exist who is someone that you want to say it the loudest to hmm i think perhaps um my father because you know the creative son not having a great relationship with their father is a trope that has been so overdone in our lives 
Mm. But um, that is what it is. And also, I, f- I feel like this realization that I'm screaming um, is, is um, I, I had that when I, I, I was at a place, um, um, I was meeting a few friends and I, we were playing chess because I play a lot of chess. So I was, it's usually like an everyday thing where in the evening I would go and meet up my friends and we would play cards or chess or whatever. And there were like seven or eight guys sitting in that room and I was in a corner playing a game of chess. And I just, for a moment, I was thinking where I should move my night. I just looked up into the room and there were these seven people who were sitting there and they were just sitting there. They had no accolades. They had no achievements or awards. They had no creative practices as we like to call the doodle making that we all do, you know, Mm -hmm. and they they had they they had none of that but they were just so comfortable sitting there lounging there um thinking about what to order um to eat and you know um someone is looking for a lighter while the other one is holding a cigarette between their lips and it just made me realize that you know why do i have to scream so much why why do i have this feeling on the inside to just scream to be there because these seven guys are also here and they also take up the space and because I know all seven of them and you know they live pretty chilled out lives you know pretty normal ones pretty um, stable ones and that just made me think is has it got why has it got something to do with my childhood has it got something to do with how I see myself But yes, I, I think that that was a sort of a very sudden re- re- realization. And, um, you know, it at times it, it does feel like that you are perhaps screaming into the world because you have this need to scream because you want to take up that space. But even when people are going to um, give you that recognition and people are going to send you heart emojis on your posts on Instagram, or even when people do buy your work and hang them in 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 their bedrooms and then send you pictures, um, you know you're getting that feedback. But you know, even that feedback won't be enough at times. Mm-hmm. And perhaps at times that will um, compel you to scream louder. Um, but yes, I I don't I feel like it's just, it's perhaps it's a vicious vicious cycle of sorts. Mm. But hey, I mean, you know, you end up making pretty things out of it. So, I mean, yeah. it's 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 a win-win situation. Do you think this is the driving force behind the work of most artists? This need to exist and to have other people acknowledge their existence? Maybe. Maybe. Um, and I also think that it is also because they want to create, because yeah. perhaps they want to establish that little connection with the creator. Or I'm not a religious human being, but, you know, with, with that energy that creates us yeah. um, and that the energy that <clears throat> makes the plant grow and makes a baby poop, like, you know, pop out of a of another body. Um, and I feel like that is, um, and at times I was having a, I was having a conversation with another writer friend of mine and he mentioned that perhaps, you know, 
when you create something, it's a way of the universe experiencing itself through you. So perhaps at the end of the day, you know, you're just a vessel of um, your, for like, like in in classical South Asian um, metaphors, you know, the human body is a vessel, and the human body is made out of clay. So the vessel is, you know, is, is a clay vessel, and perhaps the universe is flowing through that vessel and experiencing itself. So, and I feel like that that um, idea keeps you in check because, for instance, if you um, create something, right? If you've spent four hours at a piece and, you know, wow, lo and behold, you have created a masterpiece. Um, that was the universe flowing through you and making you feel like a superhuman and making your work feel like the work of a superhuman. But once you're done, you go and you wash your hands and you are a human being. You know, you are that vessel again, the vessel that has to eat, the vessel that has to poop, the vessel that um, has to take a shower, the vessel that, you know, will get scolded by their parents, perhaps, the vessel who needs money to sustain itself, the vessel who needs friendships. Um, and I feel like at maybe at some level, there's this one extreme that um, on one hand, I'm, I say that, you know, it's because I'm screaming out, I want to be here. But on an, another way to look at it is this idea that the universe itself is flowing through and you are just a vessel. And it really, you know, I feel like humanizes the practice and it makes you perhaps grateful as well at times when you're in a really good mood that, you know, that you're that you're grateful that the universe today um, decided to flow through you for 40 minutes or 50 minutes, perhaps four hours. Mm -hmm. But after that, you know, you're just a human being who um, who is flawed, who is full of errors. And uh, it's just that that perhaps, you know, they were blessed in those four hours, or in those four days or four weeks. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, how you know when you would be creating stories as a child, there would you would be drawn to these wise, you know, wise old figures, um, and I was wondering if you see in your life right now a figure like that that you look up to or you're drawn to. I feel like um, it's going to be a bit of a vain um, statement, <laughs> but I feel like that um, the person that I look up to a lot is um, what I could be potentially, right? Mm. Um, what would happen if S. N. Vahid were to read all the books that he should be he should be reading, to do all of the tasks that he should be doing in a year, you know? Um, what would that SNV he'd be like? And that is something that I look up to all the time. And perhaps that is not a super great thing to do because then you are just, whatever you do in your life, you have such a huge ideal that you will always be feeling like you fall short. Um, you know, you, you might go to bed and not feel like you've done enough because you haven't gotten closer to that to that ideal but I, I I also feel like that I feel like that's 
who I look up to currently. But in my life, I have always been really good friends with my instructors and my teachers mm-hmm. because perhaps I was always, you know, that the idea of drawn toward their wisdom, drawn towards what they had to offer. And I feel like that sort of also cultivated my um, my intellect a lot because I would get to talk to them um, and they would tell me stories. They would tell me ideas. They would tell me ideas behind the stories and the stories behind the ideas. And then, you know, they would tell me to look up on a particular idea and then they would give me books. And, you know, having that relationship with with your instructors and your professors and your advisors, I feel like that is something that I used to thrive off of. But now for the past one or two years, this toxic ideal, this toxic practice is just sort of something that I look up to. If there's a if there's a person dead or alive, um, and you would want to say something to them, who would it be, and what would you say to them? If <laughs> I think that, um, uh, I think if there's there's only one there's one dead poet that I would like to. I'm pretty sure you might be aware of Mirza Ghalib. Mm-hmm. And I would tell him, I would actually thank him. I just wanted to say thank you to him because um, there was a point in my life where I was, it was, I would have turned out to be 180 degree to what I am right now. And it was these poets that told me the nuanced approach to life, to emotions and to human beings. And I feel like I just want to say thank you to that um to that dead poet now that sleeps in delhi somewhere that thank you so much for for your wisdom and for your um for your wisdom truly because a lot of the times people um think that poetry is about you know making out and loving someone for their eyes it, well it is for most part but there is a lot of wisdom that is um hidden between the lines and i yeah i would like to thank ghalib and you know all of those the the entire sort of pantheon of classical poets classical south asian poets for really helping me and making me appreciate and understand these nuanced approaches and i feel like that is also the reason why i don't write in urdu because <laughs> you know you when whenever you pick up a pen to write in urdu you'd always think that you know you're up against the likes of ghalib and meer and sauda mm-hmm. and how can you say something when all that is to be said has been said by them mm-hmm. much much better than that could have ever been said would you want to screen something to them to them mm-hmm. no i i don't think that um i i would even raise my voice in front of them mm. because because they were for for me i i think that they know what i'm going through already mm. so you know if if i read their work it feels like they are talking about me or if they're talking about my complicated and nuanced situation so I I don't think so I I want to scream anything 
but i think i perhaps i want to scream to my society that um the current society that is that is that is being cultivated right now the the way that there is such as such um that there's there's literally no tolerance um there is there's so much hate that we have and there's so much confusion that we have and i would really like to scream um to the people that are here that i also that someone like me does also exist and you know has every right to be in this society um because yeah the, the uh, because you know because if you're an artist and if you are sensitive and mindful you are affected by what is going on around you and the things that are going around us are not that ideal <laughs> to say the mm. least mm. yeah any parting thoughts asan in this strange um, and unfamiliar world <laughs> um i i don't i don't know i i didn't think that this conversation would be this intense and retrospective yeah. <laughs> i thought it was just going to be a little ke, oh hey what do you do well this is what i do oh okay well what colors do you like using in your paintings well this is what i like using in my paintings oh what kind of poet poet did you write it there i didn't i didn't think that this was going to be this intense and this um i i hope it was it was worthwhile of course uh, of course it's because yeah because um i mean you know matlab thank you so much for coming to my ted talk <laughs> <laughs> that is something that i would like to say in the end and you know of course i would like to make crack a joke here and there just to um ease it back up because of course i mean like i've said you know these are the conversations that you would have at night mm-hmm. um and you know nothing great happens after 2 am as we say so <laughs> so these are the perhaps the conversations we having at night but um so yeah that's my thought that i was not expecting it to be um so meaningful i hope it will. i mean i mean this is a really meaningful conversation for me because now i will keep on thinking about the things that you have asked me mm-hmm. and um, you know although all of the replies that i have given to you are really smart ones right because i want you to <laughs> i want you to think that i'm really smart and very gandalf esque but <laughs> but i feel like i will be going through 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 them today and just thinking about them yeah yeah i think i'll also be thinking a lot about your answers and i just want yeah. to thank you for you know taking out the time and you know telling me about the anxieties the unfamiliar the familiar which is home um you know the loneliness of a creative childhood or a creative mind and you know being a screaming being in the world someone mm-hmm. who screams i exist that was quite moving for me and i think i have a lot to think about after a conversation and i'm really glad that you you know trusted me with your thoughts so thank mm-hmm. you for that Yes, thank you Naya. Thank you so much for listening to me. And uh, I hope we get to um catch up somewhere somehow yes. in this grand cosmic dance that we're all a part of. Yes, definitely. Thank you.
Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a presentation by House LTD. I hope you will listen, follow, rate and review all our episodes, which are available free on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor, Pocket Casts and the official House LTD YouTube channel.